Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. It's like pouring clear water into a glass with oil in it. The oil will come right up to the surface. Because when truth and falsity are in the same place, truth wins. But only always. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Over the last few weeks, we've established the value of engaging with life through a curious lens and how people show up differently as managers when they express curiosity. We also established that the main obstacle between you and a more curious life is fear. Today, I offer you some tools you can use to start overcoming the obstacle of fear and deconstructing the egoic conditioning that covers up your innate curiosity. And as a final reminder, this series was taken from the epilogue to the Clear Thinking course. If you want to take the extra time at home these days to take the entire course and live more intentionally, curiously, increase your intelligence, agility in this world, and many other words that end in why, you can find the full 11-week coaching seminar at courses.clearandopen.com. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. When I was first an employee at uh, Emeth 17 years ago, it took me about a year, year and a half to learn the model there sufficiently, proficiently. And then I started to see that some of the tools that we use with clients didn't work so well. And I started to see, I started to hear some the more senior coaches. It's like, oh yeah, with this process, I do this thing. It's not in the process, but I do it because that works. And here's this little thing I wrote. I send them that. And I started to see all of those things. There were a bunch of them, dozens. We had, you know, 120 or so little booklets, and there were a few dozen sort of coach tricks. And I thought, well, if these are the things that work, why don't we get them into the curriculum? Curiosity. Why is this not part of the formal curriculum? I asked my manager, well, revising processes is a lot of work. It's a big project. And I was curious about that. Well, how big a project is it? You know, like how difficult would that be? Well, it's just not really a priority right now. Wait, you mean making the tools we give to our clients actually work isn't a priority? Why not? All of the answers I heard did not convince me. Now, I was young and not as wise, not very wise at all. So I didn't hear what was really going on. 
it didn't occur to me to think, hmm, what is the dysfunction of this company such that this is the case? It's coming from a kind of stagnation. So I kept pushing it. And I started to write my own stuff. And I started to you know, make it more formal. And I started to create more and more and more. Because I was learning, I learned the model well enough that I could start to expand upon it. And it was around that time I got my first written warning. Right? You're teaching stuff that's outside the EMIF point of view. You're not sticking with the program. There were these 120 processes and you were supposed to do them in order, which would take three and a half years to bring a client through. And I would say, but the client needs this first. Well, there's a logic to what the order is. I, I understand that. The client now needs management, not marketing. They have to go in order. You have to go in order. Well, eventually, I, you know, I would get written permission from my manager to go out of order. But I would, was pushing that boundary and a lot of others, so much so that I became unmanageable. And uh, yeah, that was when I got my first fall in line written warning. And uh, I became pretty unpopular with management there. And about a, you know, became known as sort of a rebel and uh, was outspoken. And, and I was for sure doing it in an arrogant way. That's my side of it. Uh, but I had all these suggestions that I thought were great and were helping people, and no one was listening, which was, of course, perfect for pushing up my childhood wounds of my parents not listening to me. That was what really was going on. So about a year later in frustration, I, was, I think I was on probation at that time, some sort. I quit and started my own practice. One of the best things I've ever done. So that curiosity led me to quit that job. And then I had my own practice for about six years. And that was cool. And... I've remained connected to uh, the controlling shareholder of, of Emeth. We lived in the same town in Oregon. And every once in a while, I would see her and I would say, you know, I've been learning about stuff. The, the main thing I was talking about was, was uh, self-organization. David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, had come out. And I was seeing how the Emeth model didn't have self-organization in it. And I saw how uh, we were expecting clients to do really high-level strategic work while they were overwhelmed. I didn't realize that until you know, six, seven, eight years into coaching. And I said, this is really something I think that was missing in the model. And she said, interesting. How would you like to write curriculum for EMF? And I said, wow, that's interesting. So I did. Being curious about where that would take me. And then a little while later, I started coaching the CEO of EMF. And then a little while later, I became the CEO of EMF and moved the business to Oregon. All of that was driven by the fuel of curiosity. Now, it eventually it, it drove me to really interesting things. I got to bring self-organization and a dozen other ideas into the EMF curriculum that didn't exist before. Eventually, it brought me to realize that I really don't like working for other people <laughs> and got into a fair amount of trouble 
similar to the trouble I got in when I was first an employee there. But the point of the story is it took me on a journey that was not really something I chose in some ways. It's, you know, it's, um, it's a, it's a combination of things, you know, you're, you're led by curiosity. We all, we have our hopes and dreams and preferences and likes and dislikes. Yes. But there's something bigger too. And that is the intelligence of life itself. It's planned for us. And so anyone who says you are the sole author of your life, I would say that's an interesting hypothesis. Good luck with that. Because that's not my experience. And I think it's important to try for a phase in one's life to try to make your life exactly how you want it to be so that you can learn that it's not. So you can learn to surrender to the intelligence of life itself. On the other side, I would say someone who says that we have no individual agency or free will and that life's plan for us is absolute. I would say the same thing. I'd say interesting hypothesis. Good luck with that. Try it out so you can see and experience for yourself how important your own individual choices are. Because the truth is somewhere in the middle. It would be very easy. The, the, those two extremes are actually very easy compared to the middle. But the middle is some very difficult to discern combination of surrendering to life's intelligence, life's plan for you, and your own individual needs, wants, desires, hopes, dreams. It's an interplay of the two. But where those two things come together is in curiosity. Because curiosity, again, we've said it's a force that has nothing to do with you. That's expressing in the moment as you. You see, think about it that way. When you're curious about something, it's a force beyond you. It's like what they, speaking of force, they say in Star Wars about the force, it commands you, yet it obeys you. We could say the same thing about curiosity. It's a force that is bigger than you, more powerful than you, but you can also direct it sort of like a garden hose. You can't stop the water in a garden hose, but you can decide where it points. It commands you, yet it obeys you. And because it is a force of life itself, it always operates in your highest good. Even when, perhaps especially when, you don't even know what that is. When I had the thought almost five years ago, five years and six days ago, maybe I'll just go to Maui for a few months. It came as this kind of voice, this like, it came on a wave of curiosity. I wonder what that would be like. I've never done anything like that. It seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? Just taking off and living on a tropical island for a few months. It was very unlike me, 
at the time. But I listened to it. And that took me on a journey of indescribable joy and indescribable difficulty. Both. You know, just the headline of it was, I'd never moved somewhere where I didn't know anyone. For the first year or so, I've dealt with some of the most crushing loneliness I've ever experienced in my life. And that alone was incredibly educational and soul-strengthening. And then, you know, about two years or so, two and a half years after living there, the house of my dreams fell into my lap from a friend of a friend. I bought it off the market. That happened too. Neither of those things, healing my relationship to being alone, my fear of aloneness, nor buying a dream house, neither neither of those were my intention. Joseph, just in those moments that you describe this, you know, the process of moving, I kind of got the true feeling of uh, curiosity being the opposite of fear. Good. Very much so. Good. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. It's an, it's an opening. It's a letting go to, and the, I've by no means would say I've, I've mastered it or anything like that any more than you can master life itself. But the, the, every day I live, I have more and more respect for curiosity because it is the answer to everything working with anxiety, depression, difficult people. For example, with depression, if you can get really curious about how your thoughts are producing the result mm-hmm. of depression, it outworks itself. Because depression, if you look really closely, is a defensive strategy. It's a contraction. It's a no to life itself. So is anxiety. Just a different flavor of it. And when, let's use depression as an example. When depression is arising, if you can find real curiosity, you're juxtaposing the false artificiality called depression, the contraction from reality, with curiosity. Hmm, what is that really? What is this experience? How is it happening? What's the story? What are the thoughts? How am I making myself depressed? You're juxtaposing, you're infusing energy from life itself into a false system. It's like pouring clear water into a glass with oil in it. The oil will come right up to the surface because when truth and falsity are in the same place, truth wins, but only always. But only always. (laughs) As Byron Katie says, but only always. So, uh, you know, as Yeshua the Nazarene, also known as Jesus Christ said, the truth shall set you free. Okay, cool. What does that mean, though? He didn't say, by the way, the truth will feel really good. (laughs) It will set you free. It might drag you through barbed wire in the process, 
but in the end you will be free. The truth shall set you free. Well, what is truth in expression? What is your relationship to truth? It's curiosity, right? That's your relationship to truth or not. It's either contraction from truth, that's fear, or engagement with truth, curiosity about what's true. That's curiosity. So just real fast, I keep a little notebook and I type little things that you say and and notes in one note. That's how I keep organized. Mm -hmm. And I just put in the word curiosity just to see how many times over the years that you there's like 83 times <laughs> and it and it shows up in every single course <laughs> good good i'm aware i was aware that i've talked about it before if you'd asked me was it in every course i'd probably say no, i don't think so you would have said no but it, nice. it really is in one way or the other i was nice. just curious Joseph. Nice, Bill. <laughs> yeah it's because you know eventually you know, I talk about stuff and I talk about stuff. And, and then finally, in the end, there's just like, just be curious. Like that's what, where I arrive at, you know, because I'm always just trying to reduce things down to the simplest way. Just be curious. Just find out. Just put the thing in your mouth and see what happens. <laughs> you know, with some wise discernment. So if you're not going to put it in your mouth, can you put it in your hand? If you can't put it in your hand, can you look more closely at it? Check it out. Just take a right turn and a left turn and see yeah. what happens. One time I was looking up at a full moon on a, on a clear night and I, I just started laughing to myself because I thought I realized that the reason we went to the moon was no different than a cat going up a ladder. <laughs> just check that out. What do you think it is? Let's go take a look. Drive around, hit some golf balls. Like that's, and think about how much technology and science, you know, whether it was a good use of money is another question, but look at how much they had to figure out physics and materials and they had to figure out like do you know i know we're over time if anybody has to go go ahead but uh last minute here uh do do you know that in space when you walk in space in the sun it's 250 degrees i think celsius and in the shade it's minus 250 because there's no atmosphere that protects Mm -hmm. us immensely from the sun's rays so they had to figure out how to make a suit that would keep you the same temperature across a 500 degree range. Wow. Right. Right. That's just one of probably a thousand things they had to figure out to get to the moon. <laughs> All in the service of how do we go check that thing out? What's up there? What's it made of? That's it. It's just curiosity. That drove the whole project. Right. And that's what drives the software we're on right now. Someone was like, how do we make video chatting work? I don't know. Let's try. And they would fail and fail and fail and fail. And then eventually they figured it out. It's the root of everything. It's the root of innovation, entrepreneurialism, intimacy, enlightenment, everything. So go, go forth and be curious. There's the homework. Yeah, there's the homework. I'll, I'll revise Jesus. Curiosity will set you free because it will lead you to truth. Mm. I think he'd he'd agree. Probably he said it somewhere in there. I don't know. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. 
Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.